Listen now to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 40 through 42 through chapter 3, verse 12. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed that were gathered together and had all things in common, they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple, called the beautiful gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit, as we experience your living word, draw us into community so that we might live together for you. Amen. So we've mentioned this several times already, but this Sunday on the church calendar is Trinity Sunday. In the rhythm of our life together in Christ, we have now experienced three holy days right in a row. The ascension, as Jesus ascends to heaven, promising power in the coming of the Holy Spirit. Then Pentecost, as the disciples are gathered and there's a mighty wind, the Spirit descends on the people in tongues as of fire. And then this Sunday, Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday invites us to think of the expansiveness and intimacy of how we experience God, Creator, Christ, and Spirit in the world and in our lives. But before we say a few words about that, about Trinity, I'm still stuck on Pentecost. 
still celebrating Pentecost, that experience of the Spirit is so powerful and overflowing. The Spirit descends onto and into the gathered people, and they begin to speak in languages not their own. And not only that, as they pour out onto the streets, people from all across the known world hear them speaking their languages, and they understand. Everyone speaking, everyone listening, everyone understanding each other. And then Peter stands up and announces, this is what the prophet said. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your youth will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. Women, men, people of all genders, those held in slavery, those who are free, all people, everyone. And there will be signs and wonders. Just you wait, the power of the spirit, the promise of the spirit. In that heady moment of Pentecost, I'm left wondering what happens next. Filled to overflowing with the Spirit, what happens next? This morning's scripture offers us a glimpse of that, of the what happens next. The second chapter of Acts begins with Pentecost, and it ends with this morning's scriptures. There's Pentecost, Peter preaches its meaning, 3,000 people are baptized, and then we get this glimpse. This glimpse of what happens next, of the life they live in community. Now, the book of Acts actually gives us three glimpses of the life and community. The writer is telling the story, the action's moving along, but then they stop three different times, and then they say, oh, and remember, this is what their life looked like. Three glimpses. Amy Moizo preached on the second glimpse back in April. This one that we're talking about today, this is the first. The writer of Acts keeps coming back to it, the life that they lived in community. Biblical scholar Mitzi Smith says that before we notice anything else, we should notice how they come together and their power of their mutual commitment to each other and to their shared life. I learned a new Greek word this week, proskriterio. Mitzi Smith emphasizes the central action, proskriterio, of committing themselves to be steadfastly attentive to, to give unremitting care to. They were committing themselves, proskritario, to the teaching of the apostles and to community. It's a verb of directional action. They committed themselves toward, toward the teaching of the apostles, toward life in community, toward each other. That mutual commitment then flows out into embodied life. Specific actions that come to characterize their life together. They break bread together. They pray together. They pool their resources. Everything they own, they hold in common. And then they sell those possessions. And they distribute as anyone has need. Their mutual commitment to the well-being of everybody shapes a new economic system. A mutual sharing according to the need of each person. What Margaret Amer calls a communitarian way of life. Their mutual commitment engenders this life of shared community, or as Mitzi Smith describes it, it engenders the giddy sharing of goods, self, and time for the welfare of all. I love that. You don't get much giddiness in the Bible. The giddy sharing of goods, self, and time for the welfare of all. And then then there are the signs and the wonders. There's the second story in our scripture this morning. Peter and John are walking along and they come across a man who can't walk and his friends bring him every morning to a city gate that's called Beautiful. They bring him there to beg for alms. 
Peter looks at him, sees him. He looks at Peter, and Peter says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And Peter reaches out his hand, the man takes the hand, and he not only stands up, he leaps. It's like he leaps off the page of this story. He shouts and jumps and walks with them into the temple, praising God. This is big, all that healing that Jesus has been doing, the disciples now do. How did Peter know he could do that? Filled with the Holy Spirit, they find healing in their hands. The healing power of Christ now alive in their hands, in them, as the Spirit is poured out into all flesh. What happens next is the people commit themselves to the way of Jesus and to each other. That mutual commitment flows forth in embodied action in the world and deep connection, breaking bread, praying, sharing all they have as each has need and they find Christ's healing power in their hands. What we see and learn in this, what happens next, is this. The life of Christ is life in community. The life of Christ is life in community, reaching out to the world with our healing touch. So now, let's say something about the Trinity. The Trinity is the central understanding of Christianity that reflects the expansiveness of how we experience God. We experience God as creator, source and sustainer of all creation in and above and around all things, loving and accompanying all creation toward that day when all things will be made whole. We experience God as Christ, God come to us in human flesh, our flesh in liberation and healing, saving us from everything that does us harm. And we experience God in Holy Spirit, God's own spirit, alive in us, empowering us, calling and shaping us into one body to live the life of Christ. This central understanding of God that we call Trinity, it isn't expressed in any one verse or passage of the Bible. It's really not expressed in the scripture that we're looking at this morning. This understanding, it's something that came after. After all this was written down, as Christian communities searched the witnesses of, the witness of scripture and their experience of God in our lives and said, this, this says something about how we have come to experience God's creating, saving love in our particular lives across time and space. Maybe they knew that no one word was enough. God and three persons living life together, one God. Now, over the centuries, there have been way too many fights and arguments about what the specifics of all that means. Exactly how is God three and at the same time one? And I think it's best to just hold the mystery of all that as a blessing. If you ask seminary students today what the Trinity means, I bet nine out of 10 would lead off by saying that the Trinity tells us something about God's life in relationship, creator, Christ, and spirit. They might even tell you a Greek word that's come to signify the dance of the Trinity, three persons dancing one life 
in relationships of mutuality. Here are some of the ways that artists have imaged the Trinity over the years. There we go. So this, this is the, um, uh, the icon that we saw right at the beginning of worship during Natsuko's prelude. It's by an artist um, named uh, Andrei Rublev. And it's actually of an Old Testament scene the, at the angels at the Oaks of Mamre. But over the centuries, people have seen in this icon, the mutuality and hospitality of Trinity. The Trinity gathered at this table, which seems to be open to us, inviting us in. This is a modern take on that same scene by Kelly Lattimore as he imagines images the Trinity even more expansively. The community of the Trinity across any boundary, transcending any boundary of gender or race. And then there are abundant symbols of the Trinity, centuries old. This is a Celtic, a Celtic knot. It's called a Trichetta or Tricheta. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it, but it shows the threeness of God. You see the three flowing into each other, creator, Christ, and spirit in and out of the life of each other. In the traditions of Celtic spirituality, this is an expression of God as deep connection. God connected to us, creator, Christ, and spirit connected together, God and us connected to all creation. That Trinitarian um, sense of connection and relationship, it, it's also evident in some Celtic prayers uh, that, that, they, that Celtic folks have prayed through the centuries in the ordinary course of the day. And there's one that I just love. Um, it's a little digression, but I'm going to share it anyway, because it's just so cool. Um, it's for the start of the day. And it involves just um, taking uh, some handfuls of water and splashing your face three times. But you take, the, take a handful of water, I, I suggest cold water, and um, splash your face, say one palmful for the creator, one palmful for the Christ, one palmful for the spirit. At the start of the day, there we are connected with the Trinity rousing us into a new day. Over the centuries, in the experience of the Trinity, we come to see this. God's own life is life lived out in community, in community and mutuality, reaching out to us and inviting us and the whole world in. On this Sunday after Pentecost, on this Trinity Sunday, we see life, God's own life, the life of Christ alive in those first days after Pentecost, and our life, we see life lived out in community. As one of my mentors, Eugenia Gamble, loves to say, it's all about community. This life lived in community, it is a part of God's identity, who God is, and it's a part of our identity, who we are in Christ. As ones made in the image of God, as ones who by the power of the spirit of Christ now live the life of Christ, we cannot understand ourselves apart from the life we live in community. This is who we are. 
This life lived in community and mutuality, it is at the heart of the what happens next in Pentecost, and it is at the heart of our what happens next. I've been hearing versions of that question, what happens next, a lot these days. I've been wondering it a good bit too, as we seem to be re-emerging from pandemic as a nation, as a church, as families and individuals, we are asking this question, what happens next? On June 15th, we expect that the state of California will end a good bit of the regulatory structure that has shaped our lives for more than a year as the state in Governor Newsom's language reopens. We expect that the state will follow CDC guidance and replace much, if not all, of the, the existing regulation with a face covering guideline, a face covering guideline for individuals based in large part on vaccination status. What's not clear is what all that looks like when individuals then go out into public spaces and mingle there, and what the responsibility is for businesses and places where people gather. It's a big change, and we should name that. And our unease, and some folks, a good number of folks in California, I think, have some unease, may be counterintuitive. Like we wonder, why are we feeling this way? We think of regulations as binding and stifling, but in the uncertain world of pandemic, for many of us, the regulations and protocols have given us some structure. They have been for us, um, they have given to us a sense of safe harbor in a world that has felt very unsafe. And now, as we safely can, how do we let go of that? What happens next? As the answer to that question is still coming into focus, I wanna suggest that we ground ourselves and our conversation here in the glimpse we get in this morning's scripture of the life of Christ lived in community. I wanna suggest that we claim this scripture as a touchstone text. I wanna suggest that when the world is spinning, this is a bit of solid ground on which to stand and say, oh yes, this is who we are. This is what we strive to be. In this glimpse of the life of Christ, life lived in community, here is what we see. They commit themselves to the teaching of Christ and toward each other. They share what they have, their life together, as each has need. They share the work together. They share, they experience deep connection. And they reach out their hands and find Christ's healing touch alive in them. What we see here has evoked five questions for me that I wanna offer for our conversation in these coming weeks. You may have questions that you wanna to add to this con con conversation, but these are mine. I have no answers for these questions, but they hold within them values that I think can guide our way. Throughout the pandemic, we have been committed to moving forward together faithfully and safely. That is to say, we have been committed to moving forward together, led by the teachings of Christ and in pandemic, also by science. 
So the first question is this, just as we followed science into the collective practices of sheltering, how do we now follow science back out? Step by step, steadily and faithfully, how do we embrace the new opportunities that we have to be together? That first question, is held in balance with the second. How do we move forward mindful of the needs of others, living together as each has need? I remember that evening, way back in March of last year, when our session decided to suspend in-person worship and move entirely online. And I should say, remind us, that this church decided to do that before it was required by the county and the state. As a session, we listened together that night as folks who were in higher risk groups shared their agonized decision that they would have to stop coming to church. Someone in that conversation said, you shouldn't have to bear the weight of that decision alone. We should make this decision together and if so many of us can't come to the sanctuary, maybe we should all move online together. It was a powerful conversation and a unanimous vote. In this moment, how do we act together, mindful of the full range of individual needs? In Marin County, we know that large numbers of people are vaccinated, a higher percentage, I think, than any other county in the country. And there are also those who are not, our children are not, and there are those for whom the vaccine does not provide the same protection that it provides for others. So that's where we are. How do we hold all that with the healthy intention of re-emerging and embracing new opportunities as we continue to shape a path for moving forward together. Third, how do we sustain and grow this deep sense of connection that we have found in sheltering? Who would have guessed? Who would have guessed that Zoom with all its limitations would also open up to us an opportunity for deeper connection? In a world of sheltering isolation, this hour of worship has been a moment in the week where we can gather with each other face-to-face, -face. not in person face-to-face, -face, but on the screen face-to-face, -face, we have seen each other. It's a moment where we see each other and where we are seen. I don't think we can underestimate how important that is as we have been sheltering, to have a moment each week where we are seen. How do we find even more of that in days where we can be in person together? How can we do that even better now that we can never again take that for granted? Fourth, how will we share the work? It has taken a village to move us through pandemic. And this re-emerging is hard. 
Hybrid experiences are hard as we are determined to hold together an even broader and even more diverse community. We will likely need an even more expansive village to share the, this work. And in the weeks to come, we may be inviting folks to think how each of us, how each of you can be a part of this. And then fifth, how will we reach out our And not just for ourselves, we have been part of a great collective effort to slow and to end this pandemic to save life. But as we reemerge, we will again regain space and time to think of other things. Can you imagine we can think of something except beyond pandemic? We will have the opportunity to expand our horizon again, to see visions and to dream dreams to more broadly again see the needs of the world, where and how and to whom will we reach out our hand? This morning, we're talking about Acts 2 and 3, chapters 2 and 3. Last weekend, I watched the SFTS graduation, cheering on the graduates, including our own Juliet Rosiferisoa, who offered the benediction. It was a great moment. The distinguished alumnus, Reverend Dr. George William de Castro Abdallah, when he got up to speak, he invited the gathered community to write together Acts 29. Here's the thing. You see, the book of Acts only has 28 chapters. The what happens next, Reverend Dr. Abdallah said that he wanted to focus on the what happens next, chapter 29, the chapter that we are writing even now as the spirit continues to empower God's people as the healing, liberating, saving power of Christ shows up in our hands. This life in community in Jesus Christ, it is who we are. We can only move forward together. It is who we are, as we with the whole body of Christ write Acts 29, the next chapter, as we live together this, what happens next? And maybe one day, something like this will be said of us. They devoted themselves to Jesus' teaching and to community to the breaking of bread and prayer, awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done. They were together and shared what they had, distributing what they had as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Spirit welcomed into community so many who were being fed and sheltered and loved and freed and healed. May it 